0: If you take your copy of God's word and look with me in Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. Next week, we will be back full force in the book of Acts. We'll begin in chapter 10. I've been studying and preparing for that one and just looking forward to getting back into the book of Acts. But this morning, the first Sunday of the new year, I want to talk to you about the crown of the argument. Chapter eight in the book of Hebrews, beginning in verse one, and let's read down through verse six. I know the board well, let's go to seven. And I could say let's go to the end of the chapter, but I won't say that. Verse chapter eight, verse one. Now the point in what we are saying is this. In other words, here's the crown of the argument. What really matters most. We have such a high priest. Now, we've been singing about that, right? Have we not? Especially Phil's song he led. Yes, yes. One such a high priest. That is, we have this particular high priest. One who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. A minister in the holy places. In the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. But, as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need or occasion to look for a second. All right, the crown of the argument. Back in 1984, Francis Schaeffer published a final book before he died and it was called The Great Evangelical Disaster. And in this particular work, Francis Schaeffer coins the phrase that we've often heard called a post-Christian culture. And in this book, he gets down to the brass tacks of the matter, and he says, what is it that really matters most? Now, as Christians and professing evangelicals, what is it that really matters most? For half a century or more, there's been no question about whose name would be at the top of the most influential evangelicals in America. You know who that would be? Anybody wanna take a stab? Number one on the list, and he hit the same in 2017. Number one on the list of evangelicals. Number one, you probably don't know what evangelical means. And number, that's why you're looking at me strange. And number two is, I cannot believe you wouldn't put this person up there. He, he's 99. He still lives in a cottage, uh, a cabin up in North Carolina. It is Billy Graham. And he's been the top for years uh, on that list of 100 most uh, influential evangelicals. He is 99, I I said. Uh, He is seen as a patriarch for conservative Protestantism. And so there's a 100-person Newsmax list that demonstrates the top 100 evangelical influences in our country. But if you read down through that list, you'll find out quickly that some of these have political clout and religious doctrinal clout, and some just have mass media popularity. Joe Lowstein even makes the top 100. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I would have to argue that many in that list of 100 would tell you that Jesus is not the only way to heaven. So, at the root, what, is it, what does it mean to be evangelical? It's taken from the Greek word called euangelion, which is good news. So, at, at the root of how many... There are so many people that define evangelical in so many different ways. But at the heart of it, if you're going to call it euangelion and evangelism or evangelium, we'd have to say that it centers on the person and work of the King, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fact that He is the only source of salvation for humanity. Period. But that's not what a lot of these top 100 would say to us today. So let's rephrase that question of what matters most that Francis Schaeffer put out. And and we look at evangelicalism and think about what that means and does it mean today. Let's rephrase that question as given to us in Hebrews chapter 8 verses 1 and 2. What is the main point? When it's all said and done, what is it that matters most? And as we gather week after week and month after month, and we say that we're biblical, Bible, evangelicals, what's the main point? As important as it is to display the Word of God and the Ten Commandments in the Missouri courthouse, that's not the main point. It is important, right? It's not the main point. The main point is not winning the culture wars. The main point, to much of your chagrin, is not politics. That's not the main point. The main point is not success, it's not wealth, it's not influence. Michael Spencer says it this way, Being against gay marriage and being rhetorically pro-life will not make up for the fact that the massive majorities of evangelicals can't even articulate the gospel with any coherence at all. He said, we've fallen on times and in a trap to believe in the cause more than the faith. He went on to say that the emphasis will continue to shift from doctrine to being relevant to motivation to personal success. This will result in churches further compromised and weakened in their ability to pass on the faith. You know, there are some very important issues that we're facing in our country. True. Abortion. Marriage. etc. But understand something, what matters most is the main point. And it's not the issue of a cause, it's a person. And his name is Jesus Christ. That is the most important thing. Now that's going to shape everything else you believe, you understand, which is very, very important. But the information that's given in this text is the most important information you can get in your lifetime. And it's certainly the most important stuff for you to take into the new year. And it has to do with the person and work of Christ. Because here's a group of people that the writer of Hebrews is writing to. We don't know exactly who wrote Hebrews. I personally think that Luke wrote it. Paul kind of translated it. Or or should I say Paul was the brains behind the writing of it. It doesn't really matter. God wrote it. Right? We we don't know who the, the human author is. But we know God wrote it through a human author. But the fact of the matter is if you read chapter 10 you'll find out that these people are losing their homes. For the cause of Christ they are in a social upheaval they're in difficulty they some of them have lost their homes they've suffered socially they knew what it was like to watch their money dry up they knew it was what it was like to have their jobs taken away they knew what it was like to be living in a crumbling empire and whether you know it or not ours is going to crumble it may look good right now but it's going to happen worldwide eventually And so they knew what this was like. They knew what it was like to live on the brink of war. We know something about that, don't we? So, furthermore, they knew what it was like to live in an immoral society under wicked leaders. I wouldn't even say our country is immoral. I would say it's amoral. Immoral means that there are morals that we're breaking, and we believe they're breaking. We know we're breaking them because they're morals. An amoral society would say there are no morals at all. That's pretty much what we live in. And so that's what these people that, that the writer was writing to, they were going through these things. And he doesn't say to them, okay, let's go Christianize the pagan society. Or he doesn't say, let's make sure to the best of our ability that we can always have godly political leaders. He doesn't say that the most important thing is to curb immorality. He doesn't say the most important thing is to patch up a crumbling empire. What he does say is that Jesus Christ, our great high priest, is the answer to your life. And when you focus upon Him, I guarantee you the rest is going to take care of itself. When the Lord Jesus Christ is first and foremost, what matters most is who Jesus is and what He has done for you. Knowing who Jesus Christ is and what He's done for you will give you the faith even though you're enduring a crumbling empire, a pagan culture, and a world that's on the brink of disaster every single day when you wake up. Jesus Christ Himself According to the book of Hebrews, is a better high priest. The best, right? The old is obsolete, and the new has come. Uh, The old sacrifices were insufficient. The sacrifice to Lord Jesus Christ is a better sacrifice. And so here's the main point. We need to keep our focus on Jesus Christ, our high priest, who is seated in the heavens and who's serving us every day. That's a great focus for 2018. Wouldn't you agree? To focus upon him. So here's the crown of the argument. By the way, this is a preacher's dream text. Because we want to expose what a passage says. And I didn't have to look too far to figure out the main point. Because here's what the writer says. And what we're saying is this, right? He gives us the crown of the argument. He gives us the main point, And we want to flesh that out today. But before we do, let me give you a running start in the book of Hebrews. To why this is so important. When he gets to say this point. When he gets here in chapter 8 verse 1 and says, Now this is the point of everything. This is what matters. You understand that he's summing up the first seven chapters. Because there's some complicated stuff in there. Melchizedek for instance. Everybody um, preached through Hebrews in my former church. And everybody wanted to know, Who's Melchizedek? I said, give me time. And we'll talk about it in relation to Christ. Christ. And you see some things in terminology. Why is it so difficult for us to grasp Hebrews 1 through 7? It's because we didn't live in the Old Testament era. Okay? And for 1 through 7 is laced with a poetry and Old Testament terminology and, and prophecy and fulfillment. We have all these things. But when you get to chapter 8, it begins to be clearer to us what all the main point is. For everything the writer has said up to this point, he gives us. The main point. He gives paragraph after paragraph, Old Testament quote after Old Testament quote. He gives you clue words. And then he gets down to this point and tells us, we've got this high priest. Check it out. Such a high priest. Not just a high priest, but such a high priest as this. In other words, this high priest has qualities about him. Right? Is such a high priest. Y'all have anywhere to go this morning? John said there was a little bit of sleep coming down out there, so there's no reason for you to leave with ice. So, no, it won't take that long, but just think about, what, what is this such a great high priest? Chapter 2, verse 17. Please turn the Scripture and look with me. If you have a copy of God's Word, you need to see this for 2018. Why does he say such a high priest? Well, let me show you. Chapter 2, verse 17. The Bible says, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. That's the high priest you have. That's the Christmas story, is it not? He had to be made like us. Why? So that he could become the propitiation for our sins. What does propitiate mean? Do you remember? When I see the blood, I will pass over. Well, when they put the blood up, it reminded them that their sin was covered. But when God saw the blood, He passed over. In other words, it propitiated the wrath of God against people. You ought to be thankful that at one time you were an enemy with God, but Jesus Christ poured out His blood in order to appease the wrath of the Father so that your sins would be covered and also you would not have wrath against you. He is a faithful and merciful high priest who made propitiation for us. That's the such high priest you have. Chapter 4, verse 14. The Bible says, Since then we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confidence in Him. For we do do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What kind of priest do we have? A great high priest who has passed through the heavens. What kind of priest do we have? A sympathetic high priest who had been tempted in all ways, just as we are, yet without sin. That's a pretty good high priest, right? We're not done. Chapter 5, verse 9. The Bible says... And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. What kind of high priest do we have? A perfect high priest who has who is now the source of salvation to those who obey him. What kind of high priest do we have? One after the order of Melchizedek? Chapter six, verse 19. What kind of high priest do we have? According to chapter 6, verse 19, the Bible says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that endures into the inner place, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. What kind of high priest do we have? One that entered in behind the veil. Do you remember what happened to that veil? It was rent from top to bottom. What kind of high priest do we have? One that stands there as our sure and steadfast hope. What kind of high priest do we have? The kind that is an anchor for the soul and one that is our pioneer, which tells us that we're going to be where he is one day. As a matter of fact, you need to take that anchor of Jesus Christ and tie it around your heart like a rope because it's pulling you there. Why? Because Jesus Christ is seated in the heavenlies. What kind of high priest do we have? Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. In other words, these priests died year after year. But he holds this priesthood permanently. Hallelujah! He's a permanent priest because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. Holy, oh folks, listen, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily. First for his own sins, and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered himself up. For the law appoints men in their weakness as the high priest, But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. What kind of priest do we have? We've got one who is able to save thoroughly, completely, all the way to the end. One who ever lives to make intercession for us. How can I guarantee that you're going to heaven if you're saved? Because Jesus Christ, the minister in heaven, prays for you every day without ceasing. For those who believe they can lose their salvation, evidently they don't have a minister in the heavenly places. I can guarantee you if you are saved today, you're going to be in heaven. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ prays for you without hesitation and intercession, always without ceasing. Somebody ought to say hallelujah. You dead Baptist, wake up. Right? I mean, folks, that's why you're going to heaven, because He prays for you without ceasing. Always. Who do we have? What kind of high priest? One who meets all your needs. Did you not read it in the text? What kind? One that was holy and innocent and undefiled. What kind of high priest? One that is separated from sinners and exalted to the highest place of honor. What kind of high priest? Not one that has to offer up sacrifices for his own sin. You know why? He didn't have any sins. He has offered himself up up for our sins, for his people, once for all time. What kind of high priest? A perfect high priest. Who has offered up the perfect sacrifices. And therefore has accomplished our perfect salvation. That's the kind of high priest we have. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. How could you want more? We need to get up and sing that again, don't we? How could you want more? When you've got that kind of high priest. The word have is taken from the Greek word echo. We have such a high priest. You know what that word means? It means you hold it and you possess it. You hold him. You hold him, and you possess him as your high priest. I mean, what can the world do to us? I mean, why do we fret? Why is it that we're, we're worried about anything when we have this kind of high priest in our possession? What a joy it is to stand and preach the word about him. What a joy it is to sing and understand that he's all mine. We possess him. It means you have everything that pertains to life and godliness right there inside of you because the great high priest lives in you. Just two quick things and we're done. First, Jesus sits at God's right hand. You see verse 1? Now the point in which we are saying is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the Father. What does that build upon? Chapter 1, verse 3. Notice the ending phrase. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so here we have the writer of Hebrews. For some reason, he continues to think about this seated term, or to sit down, or he sat down, and he brings full circle all the way. It's like an inclusio. All the way from 1-3, he is seated. All the way to here, he sat down. And so it's, it's uppermost in his mind and in his thinking. Why is that important? Because no priest in the Old Testament dare sit down. His work was never accomplished. And you think, well, what's the seating and to stand and sit? What's that got to do with anything? Well, preacher, you're standing and I'm sitting. Well, folks, it means that the work of Christ was definitively accomplished. What He did for us was definitive. It was absolute. It was accomplished by Him. And that's a huge deal in the priesthood to say your work is over. They did it year after year after year continually. A reminder of sin, not a result. The first thing on their mind was that I'm forgiven But the first thing on their mind was, "Mm, I've still got sins that have to be covered next year. Over and over again. But Jesus Christ is in the posture of sitting. What a profound theological principle. He is communicating to us that Jesus Christ completed and finished the work. And what an awesome work. Well done by the Son of God. He's seated and it has to do with the exalted position. No one can be as exalted as high, can be exalted as high as the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an exalted position. The right hand is a position of supreme power, honor, and authority. I think the grammar lends itself to say that Jesus Christ is on his throne. And the reason I say that is the throne speaks of sovereignty, power, and authority. And you know me well enough to know that this comes somewhere from the Old Testament. Zechariah, Chapter 6 verse 13 speaks of the priest king who would come. And here's the fulfillment of it all given in Hebrews chapter 8. The one whose title is majesty would send his own son for us. And this one would be exalted to the right hand of the majesty on high. He would be enthroned in heaven in the immediate presence of God at all times. So here you are entering into 2018. Here's good news. Your great high priest sit down. He finished the work. He accomplished for you what you could never accomplish for yourself. Why look for salvation somewhere else? Because you can't get it. Your greatest need is to be saved from sin. Jesus Christ has accomplished that 100%. What he did on Calvary was foreshadowed under the Old Testament for thousands of years. And he accomplished it at one moment with his death on Calvary and his resurrection. For sinners, to save sinners like us. He sits. In an exalted position. Hallelujah. That's good news, isn't it? Secondly, he serves in the heavenly tabernacle. He didn't stop there. You know, we think, well, completing redemption, what an awesome thing. But have you ever thought about the fact that he's still ministering? He's still serving? Now, there are people today who believe they can't come to God without a mediator, i.e. a priest. In Catholicism, that's a key point. Well, this text teaches us that we don't need that kind of priest. We've got one. And he's not ministering in an earthly tabernacle. He's ministering in the tabernacle, the reality in the heavens. And that's exactly what the writer is saying to us. Look how he words it. A minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Now, he's not saying that that tent didn't exist in the Old Testament. We know that that tabernacle was mobile. And as they went through their wilderness wanderings, they had this mobile tent. The writer is not saying that it didn't exist. It did exist. It just wasn't the true tent. It was a prototype of another. It was given to Moses to erect this tabernacle after another tabernacle. Which one was that? The heavenly tabernacle. That's why it looked... And was built after the instructions. What did Moses say? Build it just like I'm telling you, folks, to do that. But it was built after the heavenly tabernacle. So we rejoice today that he sat down. That he completed that work. That the work is done. And the writer wants you to know that. But he also wants you to know in the present day, where Jews would have had this profound understanding of their need for a priest, one that's standing in their place on their behalf. Jesus Christ finished finished the work. But if you need a priest today, He's the only one you're ever going to have if you're saved, and He's also ministering right now. He not only sat down, but He's ministering right now. He's fulfilling what the Lord set up, and not man. In other words, Moses did this replica. God made the first tabernacle, and it's in heaven. And Jesus shed his blood and placed it on the mercy seat in that heavenly sanctuary, not on earth. Because they did it under the law, Jesus did it under grace, right? Jesus did it under the call. So he's a minister where? And he's dropping that hint, that hint to us that he's going to expand later. And when we preach to Hebrews, I'll expand that for you. But for now, just remember that this is a tent, a tabernacle that's in the heavens, it's not in Jerusalem. It's not anywhere on earth. And notice it's a true sanctuary. The Lord pitched it, not man. And that, that, that idea is that the true one is in heaven. It's true and it's eternal. It's the real reality. Right? The real reality is the heavenly tabernacle. The type is a, is a shadow or a prototype. When Jesus comes, he's actually the antitype that fulfills all that was given in the Old Testament Tabernacle, Folks, up in heaven, that's where the substance is. That's the reality. When you see a shadow, what do you assume? Uh, Something has to be casting the shadow. Something has to make the shadow possible. And everything that took place in the Old Testament was the shadow. But there's the original casting of the shadow. And that's been fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who is at the right hand of the Father. Right now, the majesty on high. He's the one that is ministering. And again, just think about it. Those former priests, uh, verse 23, uh, they had to do it, con- uh, they couldn't do it permanently because they died one after another, had to raise up another. But Jesus Christ is permanently our priest, ministering for us, praying for us without ceasing. I'm so thankful, 2018, that my Savior, my great high priest, is seated. The work is accomplished. I can't add to my salvation, it's accomplished by the Lord. Around this church, we talk about purpose and mission a lot. Tonight, I'm going to talk about the mission. This morning is about the purpose. If we don't get this right, folks, nothing else matters. If you don't have this right in your own life, if Jesus Christ is not your great high priest, the point has not been settled in your life. And if that point is not settled in your life, nothing else matters. If He is not your great high priest, personally, then really nothing else in life matters. Ultimately, eternally, he must be. Here's the final thing I want you to think about. In reference to him sitting and serving, the Hebrews had a tendency to think more on the transitory things of life. Things that were going to go away, right? What am I going to do about my home? What am I going to do about my job? What about my security? What about my safety? And you think, well, we don't have those dangers today, really? Yeah, we do. Uh we realize that we have the same danger. It's not a physical temple that we're dealing with today, like in Jerusalem, that was uh, tore down, uh, abolished in 70 AD. But yet we still have our things that we put our stock in. It's the things that we think are most important in life. We get enamored with things. And here's the lesson. All those things will pass away. The one thing that won't pass away is our great high priest. Right? One, the one thing that won't pass away is he's going to remain seated until he gets up to come home, to come here, right? Have I told you lately he's coming back? He is. But at this point, he's seated, and he's serving. What an awesome reminder. So the whole point is that you and I need to get our minds focused on what is better and not fading away. It's so easy to get our minds on things that are fading <clears throat> I said yesterday in a little upward testimony that if the Bulldogs hold up a national championship, I'll be stoked because I'm a dog, right? I grew up 30 miles from University of Georgia. My dad had season tickets every year, and man, it just it, something called cultural rootedness. And when you're in the South, you're rooted in that sport thing, which can be used for the glory of God and can become an idol. Paul says this, we all get into a race and we all run to win. And there's nothing wrong with that. Only one gets the prize, right? Paul says, we're all running, if you're running in a race, any athletic endeavor, for something that is perishable. That means it won't last. doesn't matter in light of eternity if the dolls can hold up a national championship. If those kids on that team don't know Christ, they're going to suffer forever in a place called hell. But, the scripture says, we endure for an imperishable crown. Isn't that awesome? I mean, any athletic event, you're going for something that is perishable. We need to get our focus this coming year on that which is imperishable. I.e., your great high priest who loved you, died to save you. And not only did he complete that, but he serves as a minister for his people in the heavenlies. That's awesome. Amen? Father, we're just so in awe uh, of the plan of redemption. God, that you would love us like you love us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we have such a great, faithful, obedient high priest. Lord, the whole point of a high priest is mediation. Someone coming before us as an in-between person between us and God. Father, we don't need another priest. We've got such a high priest. The Lord Jesus Christ who came down from heaven, who is God in the flesh. And we've read what you've accomplished for us. God, I pray that if there's someone here that's lost today, that they would settle that point of what matters most today. That they could personally say, Jesus Christ is my great high priest. God, what a statement. That you are my great high priest. We have. We possess. We hold. Such a great high priest as this. God thank you for that. May that carry us as our purpose throughout 2018 and the rest of our lives. That you hold all things. You're sovereign. You're in control of all things. You loved us and saved us. You've got a plan for the future. God you've got all things under your control. We can rest at ease. knowing full well Yeah, we're going to face difficulty. Life's not easy. There's ups and downs. But we've got a great great high priest who's seated in the heavens that still ministers for us today. God, thank you for that truth. May you lead us in this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.